0: Welcome to Permaculture Freedom Podcast My name is Cody and I'm your host This is a show about cultivating freedom in our lives So we can be our best self Freedom to live a beautiful, regenerative lifestyle That inspires our families, our friends, and our community To transform our lives and reconnect to nature within It's a revival of our roots roots that run deep into the earth we were born for this time we were born for this time thanks for joining me on this beautiful journey thanks for showing up yourself and your journey so far. I'd love to just get started and have you tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you love to do? Yeah well
1: thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, yeah well I'm Nick Kalachi. Um, my wife and our three kids just moved out to 45 acres in Luck, Wisconsin. Uh, raw land, no well, uh, no electricity and uh, we're kind of making a go of it. Uh, we moved out here about 18 months ago, end of August, early September of uh, 2018, and uh, it's been quite an adventure.
0: Yeah, definitely. What do you What do you love about it? What do you love living out that way, and you know, making that transition? Well, I think the best thing about it is just being out here. Mm-hmm. you know uh
1: good day bad day you know you're always surrounded by uh trees and nature and wildlife mm-hmm. uh you know there's a stream that runs through our property which is always a nice little getaway
2: mm-hmm. to
1: uh and you know for the first year you know we got all of our water out of there um so i just have to say you know being out here versus uh you know we're coming from the city mm-hmm. and just being surrounded by that environment, there's kind of no uh, escape even when you're in your house or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being out here, despite, you know, the hard work and, and the weather conditions and all that sort of stuff, uh, when you're home, you're you're still kind of in nature and, and there's the peace and quiet of it all, which is uh, just really nice.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. What What about your neighbors in your area what sort of things are other people up to around you
1: yeah well we actually kind of really lucked out um there's two immediate neighbors one across the street and then uh, a set of neighbors that live in the house that was originally part of the much bigger property that we got you know a, a portion of um you know and they're about our age and uh they have a couple young daughters and you know he's a Union Carpenter, so he drives into the city or into the metro area pretty much every day. You know, and then she just works a, a town over doing some, uh, she's a dental assistant. And then across the street, we've got a uh, Amish family with uh, a couple of younger girls. I think their oldest one is maybe five. And then they're, and then they have a, a another daughter, and then they have uh, like a one-year-old boy. So, they're kind of growing and, and, and they're really fun. You know, we all end up getting together uh, once a while in the summertime for whatever reason, over at the neighbor's house and, and get, got to know each other a little bit over the last year. Mm -hmm. So that's really nice. You know, and then obviously just getting to chat with, uh, you know, particularly the Amish neighbors about, you know, farming and animals, they keep pigs and, and cows and horses, you know, draft horses, ponies, They've always got animals kind of coming and going, which is a lot of fun. Mm. You know, they take little pony rides up and down the, the road out in front of our house and stuff, which is, which is cool. Mm. Yeah. So I think we just lucked out, you know, uh, being in, and, and again, they're about our same age too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all sort of in our
0: mid thirties to very early forties, you mm. know, with kids. That's that's pretty cool. What's it it like hanging out with Amish folks?
1: Uh, You know, it's cool. I think I
0: have to watch myself not to just kind of be
1: interviewing them all the time or (laughs) asking questions all the time. And, oh, where do you get your cows and what kind of breed are they? And, you know, what do you do for processing? Or, you know, how do you deal with the well? You know, I want to connect with them about kind of doing an alternative to a high amount of electricity pump well system yeah. you know they use compressed air in a generator uh in some system that they rigged up so they can run a generator for a, a better part of a day and then create enough pressure to pump water for like the next week out of their well which seems really cool because for us obviously even if we got a well and had a well pump we don't have you know 220 running to it to you know pump it up 60 feet and in into our house you mm-hmm. know so uh, but they know all, you know, little kind of hacks and, and obviously a lot of traditional stuff,
2: mm-hmm. but then
1: they're also, um, you know, using some modern, they use some electric fence, they just use batteries, they charge those up at the neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're, you know, they're still just as connected. He's actually a carpenter too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like a whole crew of Amish carpenters that get together and then head off every morning, to you know, all over the place and, mm-hmm. and build pole barns and whatnot.
0: So, Yeah. Yeah, they 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 do that out our way too, you know.
1: Yeah, kind of an interesting lifestyle, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like kind of one foot in, one foot out, and then here we are over here. You know, they actually probably use more modern amenities than we do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, we have you know some solar and, and lights and some of that sort of stuff, but yeah, you know, we don't have the running water. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have the septic. We don't have some of these other things that you know in their houses. Obviously, a lot larger than ours. Um, so then they've got a, they've got a huge shed and outbuildings and tractors and tools and, you know, in, in a wider community, I'm sure that Mm -hmm. they can, you know, they help each other out and all that sort of stuff. So,
0: um,
1: but yeah, they're definitely, you know, great fun people and, and a valuable resource.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you, You have you, uh, have you been able to have them out to your place and show them your off-grid homestead?
1: Irv uh, came over one time with one of his daughters and dropped off some Christmas cookies, and that was the first time he actually came up to our place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he got to see it a little bit. So that was kind of fun, you know. It was the winter, so we didn't like walk around or anything like that. But sure, uh, I'm definitely hoping to connect with him more in the spring. I want to get a whole bunch of manure and spread it out and kind of bring some of our fields up, the fertility up a little bit, so that we can sort of start planting, yeah. um, you know, trees and, and, and whatever, just start, you know, pasture, just start bringing that back a little bit. Because most of what we had was uh, corn and beans, and I think mostly corn for the last, you know, 25 plus years, and I think it's kind of depleted quite a bit. But yeah. I know he spreads his manure from his barn every year, so I think he has that equipment. And uh, they plowed a little plot of uh, like a little garden for our other set of neighbors
2: mm-hmm.
1: with horses. So we went over there and watched that one night. You know, it was just maybe like a quarter, not even a quarter acre spot. But I know he's got machines, and, and you know, hey, if we can spread it with draft horses, that's fine with me.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. Or
1: even borrow the even borrow the tractor and and, and pull the manure spreader or something like that. That might be uh, a nice little trade. You know, yeah,
0: that no, that's great. Yeah, it's it's really inspiring to see that that community is still really strong in the tradition, you know, from what I see from the outside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you know and well, his cuz they were actually going to move away this summer and then um the place they they got, they had some issue with uh flood insurance or something which was really strange and then so they ended up staying, which we're all really happy about. Um but his cousin had moved up, and they were going to move over to this, you know, 200-acre farm and start a dairy or something like that, and, but those plans kind of fell through. So, I mean, they're kind of in it just with us. You know, he's trying to figure out a way to uh, make a living on farm, you know, so he doesn't yeah. have to uh, carpool it to Rice Lake or, mm-hmm. you know, the Twin Cities and, and do carpentry.
0: It's Yeah, it's really interesting how much of an overlap there is with what you and your family have have been doing with what the Amish have been doing for quite a long time, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we're kind of going at it, uh, or, or starting at it from different places, but kind of ending up in the same place.
0: Yeah, yeah. You I know? see that. Yeah, yeah, Megan and I joke about that too with her family sometimes, and how we look to the Amish as an example of, yeah, you know, that resiliency that, that permaculture teaches. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, tell us a little bit more about your homestead and and the farm and what sort of activities you guys are up to, you know, animals are raising crops, you're growing um, and, you know, longer term plan with it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, we we got out here, we built. um, It's kind of funny. We didn't get into it thinking let's do off grid or let's do a tiny house. But that's, ended that ended up being what we did just because of the, you know, the situations and money and, and all that right. sort of stuff. Yeah. So we moved out onto this land in a uh, camp, like a travel trailer. Um, you know, I think it was a 29 footer by eight, had a couple beds in it and all that. And we lived in that from, you know, September until essentially Thanksgiving of 2018, and of course, you know, the weather's been terrible. So if that particular year, it got cold, you know, really, you know, we had frost in the beginning, you know, mid September, uh, you know, October, it was really rainy and then everything froze up beginning of November. But, but anyways, so we moved on to this trailer and then we had plans drawn up for, you know, a nice kind of, you know, one floor. We were going to build a, a house on, uh, Like post and beam, and so we could get it up off the ground so that we could run plumbing and all that sort of stuff later. Mm -hmm. And you know, we spent you know, 800 or whatever dollars having these plans drawn up, but they were delayed and they were delayed. And I don't know, six, eight weeks later, we finally got the plans, but by then, you know, things are already getting cold and and starting to freeze up. And the pier system that we had looked into basically blew our budget. We were going to do these diamond piers where you just drive in rods and then you can put the pulse right on these, these footings that you drive in instead of pouring uh, footings. And you know, each one of those ended up being like, they, they wanted like $6,000 worth of diamond footings. And at that point we were like, it's too expensive and we don't have time anymore anyway. So while we were waiting for that, The plans to be done and begin construction on the main house, we decided we'd throw up a small 12 by 16 lofted uh, tiny house, essentially, just to kind of get through and give us a a bit more of a firm place, you know, put a wood stove in it. And that's what we did. But then our house plans went away and we're just in that now. (laughs) Right. You know, so, and, and that was great compared to the camper. The camper was not a winter camper. We were burning through, um, you know, two, uh, you know, what, 20-pound tanks mm-hmm. every, you know, we'd go through, you know, four of those a week, mm-hmm. so almost like one a day, you know, yeah. give or take on how, how cold it was, yeah. and we'd get a lot of moisture on the inside, and yeah. that was really expensive. So, with the wood stove and in the small house, I mean, that was just so much nicer, you know, it's more of a square than it is sort of a long, wide hallway. So it just, you could kind of, you know, sit in a circle kind of a deal.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, paint a picture for us of of your family. How many people you had living in that camper and now, you know, living in the okay. tent.
1: Yep. So, you know, me and my wife, and then we have a daughter who just turned 16. Mm-hmm. And then we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um. So when we got out here, you know, that was a year and a half ago or whatnot. So, you know, we essentially had a baby, a toddler, and then a, a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, so you know, the teenager trying to get her to have her own space in both of these spaces was, was kind of a challenge. Uh, a design camper, problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she had a little lofted bed in the camper with, mm-hmm. you know, camper storage for her stuff. And then, you know, the little camper shower, mm-hmm. um, which... You know, when it got really cold, I mean, everything just froze up. So we were doing like cup baths, heating up water on the stove and then just sort of, you know, sponge bathing as best you can in the little yeah. camper shower. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the current building, the 12 by 16 with the loft, she essentially has the loft. So she has a little bit more space. She actually can get a queen bed up there. Uh, and she actually doesn't seem to mind it so much. I mean, she's handled this whole situation really well. Mm-hmm. which is kind of a bless, blessing. I think that's most people, when we said that we were going to do this, you know, that was their first concern is, you know, what about Sophia, you know, teenager, you know, she's lived in, you know, Richfield her whole life. You're mm-hmm. moving her out into the sticks, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so there's, uh, there's five of us currently on the first floor of this 12 by 16. We have a set of bunk beds and, you know, I or my wife sleep with the, with, with the two year old, on the lower level of the bunk and then we pull out a old crib mattress and put that on the floor for the four-year-old if she doesn't want to sleep in a bed with us because they're you know she's getting big too I mean she's four and a half and uh you know it's a twin bed so I mean there's not a lot of space and kids of that age like to just sprawl out yeah you know so it's, it's pretty crazy you know
0: it's amazing
1: yeah, yeah yeah you know and it's you know it's how you get used to it. you'd be surprised at um you know how how adaptable you are to mm-hmm. your situation mm-hmm. uh, especially when there's not really a lot of other options we're currently planning uh another 12 by 20 foot addition on the back just so we can get a bed for that way everybody can have their own bed and we can mm-hmm. have a little bit more storage for clothes and sure and you know that sort of thing just a little bit more space to to move around in because right now the kitchen bedroom dining room table wood stove and all of our clothes storage is in one 12 by 16 and the 12 by 16 is outside dimensions so mm-hmm. minus another uh six inches on either side so it's you know more like a 11 by 15 inside which is essentially like a bedroom mm-hmm.
0: well that's that's yeah. great i do, do you have any sort of moments that you'd like to share from whether it was like that transition to living in the camper initially or you know to the tiny house that was like either a high point or an extreme low point that you'd like to. Share. <laughs> you
1: know um, moving into the tiny house from the camper was definitely a high point. It was just like so much nicer. You know The camper gets this moisture build up on the inside just from breathing and in the single pane windows and stuff and the little skylights or the you know so they would like drip on you (laughs) you know uh i stuffed you know the roof ones with insulation and put plastic on them you know so that that wouldn't happen so much but it was drafty it was really confined you felt like you you couldn't you know turn around or walk you know straight you always had to kind of walk sidestepping you know just to kind of get through everything Mm -hmm. so moving and we moved into that we moved into the tiny house um, the weekend right after Thanksgiving of two thousand and eighteen. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So that moving into it was was great, and we were still sort of new. I mean, we'd only been out here three months, so it was still exciting, and and uh, you know, part of this big adventure. So that I say would say was a high point getting into that building you know and then just having been in there now for just over a year you know the the space is just tight you know you go to christmas and the kids get a bunch of toys or something like that and clothes and it's like you don't have space (laughs) for you know another set of pajamas or another little remote control car thing or whatever yeah um and you you know you're kicking so a lot of times stuff that's on the table goes to the top bunk so you can eat dinner and then after dinner stuff goes from the top bunk back to the table so you can Mm -hmm. make that bed up um you know so and and just staying organized you know trying to find a place for everything our camper is basically now we still have it it's basically like an overflow storage but you know completely unheated Mm -hmm. um you know so just stuff gets stuffed in there and and all that Mm -hmm. you know originally too we had just a two burner um like outside camp chef propane stove Mm -hmm. and no oven you know and and just this last spring i think it was we got a 100% propane oven no clock you know Mm -hmm. no digital anything yeah and and that's really nice but you know now that takes up just a little bit more space Mm -hmm. you know so you know, little improvements, Yeah. but, uh, you know, we're definitely rapidly outgrowing that space. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, we're on borrowed time as far as how long we could be in, you know, without at least a little bit more space. I mean, just so everybody can have their own bed. That's something that just wears on you. Yeah. Time, you know.
0: So, so the honeymoon stage is definitely worn off.
1: Oh Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to think about that with the kids growing up, you know, with that experience right now, because, you know, I would, I would think that they, it's like that much more fire under their butt to get outside and spend more time outside, right? Because you have so much beautiful land to enjoy. Yeah. Well, you know, and they're,
1: you know, that's the thing. I mean, every, every day, every month that passes, you know, this spring, they're all going to be, you know, they will be three and five. You know, and they're just going to be a little bit older, a little bit less, um, where you have to keep your eye on them like all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, Cohen will kind of wander off in the woods, you know, not like off in the woods, but you know, he'll go behind the house and you pick your head up from whatever you're doing and then you got to go look for him because he knows what he's getting into, you know? (laughs) Um, but you know, and that, but that's the idea, you know, you know, of being out here. It's like, hopefully... You know, they're not going to want to sit in the house and and, and watch videos. They're going to want to come out and, and, you know, find sticks and, you know, play with those and, you know, maybe build a fort in the woods or like follow the ants around or something Mm -hmm. like that and just kind of take it wherever they want to go. And as long as they're with an eye shot, you know, they'll be okay.
2: Mm -hmm. Definitely. They're
1: not going to run out in the road. You know, they're not going to just be randomly swept up by a stranger or something like that. So, Mm-hmm. you know i'm hoping they'll be able to get out um in you know more and more and 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 be able to help even if a little bit like Colin, uh he was our two-year-old i mean he was you know like we're out there planting something and, and he wants to just pull up what we planted like he's like counterproductive <laughs> to uh, like 100 mm-hmm. you know so hopefully you know by next year he'll at least get into his own little, maybe plant his own plants and, and leave what we're trying to do alone so that we can mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what what would your, you know, your partner, Shauna, or, you know, your kids say about, you know, what they enjoy about this, this lifestyle?
1: Yeah, good. well, Sophia particularly, you know, the 16-year-old, she loves it out here. Compared to, uh you know, the city... The school, she has a graduating class of like the low 40s, -hmm. you know, so her whole grade is like 40 to 42 kids or something like that. And That's one of the bigger classes in the whole school, you know, and the school is a K through 12, you know, but because of that, she says, you know, everybody's like nice to each other essentially, and they know each other. They've grown up together. It's more of like a big family than it is like cliques and the popular kids and the weirdos and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) So, and, you know, she's involved with the basketball and softball and, and plays and choir and all that stuff. So she's adjusted really nice. Mm -hmm. So I'd say she just really enjoys sort of that the community, like the small town community. Um, and you know, and the little ones, you know, um, I think, you know, Lennon four-year-old, she, she really enjoys school too. She's really good friends with the neighbor kids, uh, Mm-hmm. They have one that's you know six months older, but one grade above. Uh, she loves going over there and just running around. And you know, Cohen's too. He's kind of uh, just starting to feel his oats a little bit, and you know, run around and and do whatever. But uh, I mean, I think they just like being together and you know, running around out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: How about Shauna?
1: You know, I think she really likes the like the. The small town aspect of it, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're just not, you're not fighting traffic, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she goes to like play groups and and different little events and, you know, meets so much Fia's parents and stuff. And a lot of them have moved on to raw land and lived in a camper. Most of the time people, when they do that, they're living in a camper while the house is being built. Yeah. So they're in it six, eight months, one year, that kind of thing um but you know people have done it you know Mm -hmm. and people have hauled water and people have taken sponge showers for six eight months while they do you know it's a lot more common Mm -hmm. so i think she finds comfort in that like you're not you're not um so extreme as you know people in the city typically are just like what you know Mm -hmm. so i think uh you know, she values that, the community yeah. and just, like, the understanding of people. Like, they don't freak out if, if uh, you know, you got a muddy driveway. You're yeah. like, yeah, that it's spring or it's fall. That's what happens, yep. you know. Um And, you know, some people think it's cool. Or think it's cool. You know, the counselor at school heard that we were in a tiny house and she's been, oh, I've been talking to my husband. I've always wanted to build a tiny house and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And, and obviously, that's, like, a whole trendy thing on its own now. Street cred. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and that's, that's something it feels like we're doing out here is, uh, you know, these first couple of years, I think we'll look back and say, you know, it was tough and it was kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, we paid our dues, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we earned our stripes and, and, you know, now we're gonna, you know, build, build a little bit bigger house, uh, you know, get some more of those kind of common amenities Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and the kids, I think hopefully, you know, even Sophia say she goes to college in two years. And she's in a dorm. I mean, her dorm room is going to be the size of the house that she spent pretty much all of her high school years in, yep. but it could be her and one other person, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe they'll value space and they'll value, um, She. it's funny, she says she has a girl in one of her, or in her class or on her team or something that is always talking about how small her house is, you know, and she like lives off the golf course or something and it's <laughs> a beautiful, big, beautiful house, you know, it's like, oh, it's only 2,500 square feet. And it's like, yeah, we're at like 350
2: yeah. <laughs> you know what
1: I mean? So she's just like, yeah. So hopefully, you know, it'll, we'll all sort of develop an appreciation for when we get into something more comfortable. We'll always look back and, and be like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what makes this so great. This 1,500 square feet is
0: amazing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Especially when you pair it with the 45 acres, right? Well, yeah.
1: You know, and that's, that's what it's all about. That's why we, you know, I I think back about would I have done the same thing, would I have gone for, say, 10, but with a house or a septic or whatever. And um, the whole reason we went with no house or any of that is because, for one, we wanted to spend that money on land. Mm-hmm. And two, we wanted to build, you know, a natural house or something that was, you know, passive solar, you know, really energy efficient and something we wanted to live in for the rest of our lives, instead of, you know, a lot of the houses out here that are on land are, you know, double wides or or single wides, you know, or they're, you know, I think the best thing, I think, would have been to find something right in the same acreage range, you know, maybe 35 plus, but with, like, a a dilapidated house on it, Mm -hmm. so you're not really paying for the house, but there's a well, like, there's a hose somewhere that you can attach and then there's like a septic or something that you don't have to invest those two elements into but yeah. even that would add you know a value for you know if you're willing to kind of suffer through it for a few years until you can can address some of those things mm-hmm. in the long run i think we'll be really happy with it and we wanted the big acreage so that we could do grazing yeah you know we could do large ruminants mm-hmm. essentially you know
0: yeah Well, yeah, that's a good transition. I mean, tell me what you guys have done since transitioning from your, you know, suburban 10th of an acre or less yard to the 45-acre homestead. What sort of things are you... Yeah, what did you set out to to do, and has that changed, and, you know, what are you up to now? Where are you headed?
1: Yeah, well, the idea was to get out here and, I guess you know, it's hard to say what we wanted to do the first year, the second year, you know, what we've done. and, And initially the plan was to get some of this infrastructure up, you know, get the house in, um, in order to access half of the property, we had to get, we had to deal with the stream that cut through it and this little wetland that basically cut off half the land. Um, so we were either having to build a bridge or, or, or get a driveway in. So that first say three, four months that we were here was essentially um, trying to build our little 10 by, or our little 12 by 16 uh, tiny house and getting a driveway in so that we could access it. We could drive through the wetland area, you know, all summer and into early September, but then that was rains came, which were sort of unprecedented. We could maybe get into all the records that have been broken since we've been out here in the last 18 months, you know? But uh, it got too wet, so we had to, basically, we've been working on infrastructure pretty much the whole time. But the reason we came out here, and then what we wanna do in our, more of our long-term plan is, um, you know, we wanna build soil, create a super uh, diverse uh, landscape, trees, pasture, you know, um, rotational grazing pigs, chickens, cows, you know, manage the forest in a sustainable way maybe open some areas up get it to be more of a, a savannah uh like landscape and unless we have a lot of buckthorn a lot of the areas <clears throat> that we have trees are old fence lines there's barbed wire in there and the only reason that anything's growing there is because that's where the fence lines were because they ran cows on here you know 15 years ago mm-hmm. you know uh so we're kind of just trying to basically pull some of the barbed wire, start managing and identifying some of the more problem buckthorn trees. You know, we were talking to a who said, you know, go after the ones putting berries on first, you know, don't worry about the small ones right away. You know, um, you know, we had some downfall, you know, trees that have been knocked over and just leaning on other trees for who knows how many years. So get in there and start pulling some of that stuff out and uh, you know, just kind of, raising the health of the whole of the whole property mm-hmm. um and then supply as much of our own food and nutrition as we can you know increasing that every year and then ultimately generate a surplus that we can sell to friends and family and in the greater public and community mm-hmm. and generate a living so that we can continue to do the work mm-hmm. of sort of you know restoration of agriculture you know uh land rehabilitation, man, forest management, that kind of stuff, so that down the road, even for the next generations and stuff, it just becomes stable. It becomes, uh, you know, more divor- more diverse and kind of a, a sanctuary, I have a dream or like, you know, you'll be able to look at it from Google Earth and basically see our property because it's, you know, vibrant compared to sort of the things around it, you know. Yeah definitely that's, that's sort of the ultimate bill i suppose mm-hmm. it'll
0: be beautiful you can see it right? yeah
1: our own little eden
0: you know yeah, yeah our own totally. little
1: our own little paradise where you know you get up every morning and and just to just to steward it mm-hmm. you know i just yeah. want to walk the land and you know dabble here and there and tweak the system and but but every year it just sort of gets a little fuller gets a little richer
0: you know yeah, I was I was going to mention. It's interesting that you say that the the satellite view. Um, there's a permaculture teacher named Joel Glansberg that has talked about this with a project he developed in I think it's New Mexico. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and he he created this video about it. Um, yeah. I think it was. I'm, I'm blanking. I think it's something like 30 years greening the desert or something to that effect. Oh okay. Um. But anyways, he he talks about at initially, he's like, yeah, I see that. And I just see this Eden, you know, I think he used that word. Um, I see this, this beautiful paradise I created over, you know, so many years, but then later it came to me that I, I, I realized how much of a failure I've, I've actually had because I look around and all the places next to me haven't changed a bit. Right. So it's right. like, that's kind of like that next step as we think about, like our region and our community is how are we both doing that land regeneration, you know, right on the home front, but also inviting people in to learn and experience and and you know spread that that outwards, right? Yeah. Right.
1: Well, i You know, I would really hope that you know maybe as I go through this and things start to sort of take shape and. You know, because it doesn't look like much now. I mean, it doesn't look like, oh, this land is so much more improved since I've been out here for 18 <laughs> months. You know, if anything, we've got, you know, junk piles and brush piles and, you know, various projects, you know, half finished and probably looks worse, you know.
0: Well, let's let's be honest. You can't do much worse than what a lot of industrial agriculture is doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, totally. And, you know, uh, as far as just like farms go, you know, whether it be the boneyard or some of these, you know, you see that tractor or whatever, that's what's it doing over there in the middle of the field, kind of rusting out, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just like there the lists of things to do when you have property like this. And it's not even, I mean, it's probably would be the same if I had five acres versus 45 just because it's five acres is a lot to manage by hand. Yeah. You know, 45 by hand is like almost kind of silly. You know, you're not really going to be, you know, hoeing, that or you know spreading manure over 45 acres of pasture by hand you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know but my point in you know there's so much to do all the time that you know I'll make a list of things that need to get done today and say there's 10 things on the list and I finish seven of them mm-hmm. well tomorrow's list isn't necessarily going to have those three mm-hmm. that I didn't get to it's like no this it's a whole new list mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it's like you might be out there working on something and you know you know you're out there you're spreading manure the tractor breaks down you come in you can't get the part there's something else that needs to be done yeah. you know the part comes in but now it's snowing and it's like that tractor just sits there you yeah. know and, or that project just remains unfinished so i totally understand you know you go to some of these places you're like why don't they just pick that stuff up you know why don't they just take a day and you know clear out that that pile of junk over there and it's yeah. like because they got other stuff going on you know yeah and, and 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 the main thing, I think being you know making generating an income, yeah you know I mean that's sort of the missing link if I think if uh we learn anything from like the hemp craze that kind of came through, I mean people are willing to do if they think that there's money in it if they thought that they could adopt permaculture next season and save the farm, you know or like make a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, they'd all do it Mm -hmm. next. I mean, every, every, everybody would do it. Yeah. It's that like the permaculture approach, you know, regenerative uh, agriculture approach is it takes time. It takes, you know, management and planning Mm -hmm. and upfront costs. And, you know, you sort of build up all this stuff on the front end, which basically makes it productive forever, which in the long run is like, you know, return on investment every return on investment return on that same investment for, for all time. Right. But, you know, everybody, I was just talking with Shana about that. Like, you know, we're, we're still waiting on our hemp prop, you know, to see what, you know, whether or not we made money, if we lost money, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's like, man, you know, all these, there's all this talk about it being, you know, the thing that saves the farm, mm-hmm. you know, and I was thinking about, you know, two farms, have gone out of business in wisconsin every day for three years Mm. you know the last three years you know and it's like think about all those farms that were on the edge that thought oh i'm gonna jump into hemp yeah and i'll save the farm so they took every last thing they had and they threw it out there and they grew 20 acres of it and now they're 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 getting you know two dollars a pound or something yeah you know and it's just like total you know totally devastating so yeah you know
0: well, hey, let's let's talk about that a little bit because sure. you, know, you mentioned you mentioned income, and I think yeah, yeah. The, like what you're talking about makes a lot of sense. In you know in in permaculture, we're we're coming to this from a place of regenerating land and um, ecosystems, but yeah, it does take time. So you know, you guys come to that land and you know approach that problem, you know, from the the point of view of doing annuals, right? And then like hemp. So, you know, what do you feel like after doing it a season, do you have enough experience to say if it's something viable for you in your situation and potentially others coming to that kind of context? Or is there a lot more to kind of figure out?
1: You know, if I were to go back and redo it, I wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. You know, this particularly this season. I think the smart thing would have been to, instead of say, hey, I'm going to get in right away at the beginning, you know, and, and you know, try to get ahead of the curve, uh, maybe hang back and see what happens for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, we had heard about hemp and we had talked about maybe doing it, um, but we were thinking more about, okay, um, broilers. Mm-hmm. right we were we were kind of going more in that direction we were going to get some chickens we were going to get some pigs you know we were thinking about goats or cows and investigating that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and then this opportunity came along to do hemp. right right and it was like hey do you want to do this basically you know you buy the plants for me and i'll get I'll, you know basically i'm doing the plant selection i'm you know doing the orders you come get them pay me and and you're off and run it Mm -hmm. You know, and it was like, oh, you know, they took care of the license. You know, we were just a a plot under somebody else's license. So we were like, oh, my God, this amazing opportunity coming our way. We got to take advantage of it. So we jumped on it. But had we not, we would have been, I think, we would have done something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that would have been chickens. One of the things that was holding us back with the chickens is, you know, we had no infrastructure. So it's like I would have had to have built a brooder of some some kind freestanding outside with no electricity and somehow, you know, kept them, kept them, you know, healthy until I could get them out in the field. Yeah. You know? So that was like an obstacle we all was kind of dealing with. Yeah. But, uh, but with the hemp, so we, we came into it and it was like, you know, it was amazing. We you know, the, the, wisdom around it or lack thereof Mm -hmm. was basically you know you plant them they put on one to two pounds you harvest them you get anywhere from say 25 to 75 dollars a pound Mm -hmm. you know everyone's just seeing dollar signs you know and it's supposedly kind of a set it and a forget it plant which you know none of that's true it's a very uh time intensive plant because you have to check for males you have to mow and fertilize their heavy feeders you know they you know they put a taproot down you know Um, which is great. So hopefully there's some, and when we harvested them, we just cut them. We didn't pull them out. So hopefully that those roots will have rotted and created some, some um, air and water uh, penetration, you know, through the hard pan because this, this land was obviously plowed Mm -hmm. and tilled for, for decades. So hopefully there's some benefit there. And then, you know, we mowed, we didn't cultivate in between all the plants. So, we did. We were able to allow uh, some ground cover to come in, some grasses, some cro- clovers, and that sort of stuff. Um, so I think there was a benefit there. But then, in the end, for all the days that you know I didn't do something else because I was attending uh, attending to the to the helm, because we did three thousand plants, you know. So if you spend, <clears throat> if you want to give them a little foliar spray, like I got some kelp spray uh, to mix up just to help them with their minerals and, and, you know, put on a little extra flour or whatever. I mean, to spray each one of those for 15 seconds, you know, it's going to take you a couple days to get through (laughs) it all. You know, that's if you have the and then not when it's going to rain or not when it's just rained and not right away, you know, not in the middle of the day because it'll just dry right up on the leaves. You want it to kind of soak in, you know, Mm -hmm. and then just the learning curve trying to figure out, you know, I didn't know to put kelp on there. I had to research that for, you know a couple of weeks trying to figure out the best what's happening with the plant, what does the plant need, what's it sort of what what is it exhibiting you know health wise you know yeah. and then you know and going through that so it was an incredible amount of work, and there's still a chance you could see a uh, a profit, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be I was just talking to you know the guy that we're basically selling through. And he's like, oh, the the market's completely collapsed. You know, mm-hmm. the, the oil, they're not even doing CBD anymore. They're mm-hmm. doing CBN now because, you know, it's completely flooded.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was sort of a, <clears throat> it was sort of a hard left turn out of nowhere as far as coming out here and doing what we wanted to do. And then suddenly we're in this annual um, agriculture game. Like, how did that happen? You know, what yeah. what happened, you know? And we were thinking it was just going to be a small piece of what we were doing and that it would fund, you know, you know, maybe we wanted to put in some swales or build a pond or, you know, do, you know, if we say we made a <clears throat> a good profit, I could buy 2000 trees to start the silver pasture off or something like that. That was mm-hmm. sort of the, that's how it was going to fit into a regenerative model. Was mm-hmm. It was going to uh, uh, bankroll it essentially. Yep. So that kind of, that whole thing is, you know, still playing itself out, but I wish I would have spent, you know, we didn't plant any trees this year. You know, our garden suffered. It wasn't uh, as robust Mm -hmm. uh, and didn't get the attention it deserved. Um, We did raise six pigs and that went really well. And that I think is sort of the saving grace of, of this last farm season. Mm -hmm. You know, we had them about five months. They finished out really nice. We've got a lot of compliments on the pork. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we paddock shifted them. They thrived. We didn't have any, uh, health issues Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, and, and the areas that they were in, you couldn't tell that they'd ever been there, you know, Mm -hmm. a month after they were there. So we actually, we only moved them back into a paddock. They were in one time at the very end. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they had a week left, so we moved them back instead of further away we moved them back closer to the farm where they kind of were originally mm-hmm. just so that when they came to harvest them, they didn't have to you know, deal with the wetland and stuff like that.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. I think it's a good contrast from talking about the annuals. And I think, you know, this is a lot of what is looked at in, in permaculture and just this sheer amount of work it takes to grow annuals. Um, yeah. So what do you think, what were some of the factors that, you know, brought success to you with with the pigs on the land. Well, I think I got to give most of the
1: credit to just them being pigs. You yep. know, just getting out. They're yeah, their their adaptability. You know, we got six, which I think is a good number. Just as far as them having like a pack. You know, I don't think coyotes are going to do much to a pack of like six. You know, hundred pound pigs. You mm-hmm. know what I mean. I mean, they kind of freak me out when I go in there to, you know, give them some feed or, or you know, flip over a, you know, a little watering pan or something that they knock over and they nip at your heels a little bit and, you know, they, <laughs> don't, take any, they don't take any crap.
2: Yeah, they?
1: yeah. But, um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, um, you know, pretty much every book has a little, every permaculture book has a little bit about pigs. Um And, you know, we moved them. We kept them comfortable. They had a little shelter. Most of the time they had about, you know, two-thirds of the woods and then a third of, like, pasture, kind of as I moved them along so I could keep their water and food. In the pasture where I could see it, and then they had shade and and areas to roam around in the woods, and we just kept moving them. Um, And I think, you know, they're – Just being in their natural environment, keeping them low stress, I didn't freak them out. They weren't like in the main, you know, it's not like every time a car came by, they got spooked Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think just, um, you know, going out there once or twice a day and checking on them, keeping them fed Mm -hmm. and, um, and then, you know, they were a good breed. They were a a Hampshire mostly, and and, uh, we got them from a guy in Amory and, We ended up buying feed from him as well. So, I mean, their feed was the same. It was a uh, um, barley and flax. And he he would supplement with soybean when he didn't have enough flax. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a non-GMO product. And, um, you know, that in itself, I mean, just I had to go. um, I could only get three barrels, which is 900 pounds Mm -hmm. at a time. uh, And I had to deal with these barrels by hand. You know, I didn't have a forklift or, or, you know, I couldn't get a super sack full with, you know, a ton of it in there. So I was seeing him, I was seeing our pig guy, uh, basically every two weeks all summer long. So I'd, you know, chat him up about the pigs and, you know, tell him what I'm seeing, showing him pictures, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then even with the hemp, I was just, you know, picking his brain about the fertility and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so just finding resources like that. So it was like before anything got bad, you know, I would I would be able to find somebody who knew something and point me in a new direction. You
0: know? Yeah. Oh, that's that's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I love that you said the the, the pigs just being pigs too because I think that's so true. It's you know it's a good example of an element in a system being you know perfectly in a place that it can thrive. And yeah. You know, Joel Salatin talks about that, the farmer, about, you know, pigs just being pigs and chickens being chickens and cows being cows. And if you set it up that way and and you're a part of that system too managing it, tending it, it it can bring a lot more harmony to any type of system. So, you know, where we live up here in northwest Wisconsin, it makes a lot of sense. Other places, maybe not as much. Um, Yeah. And also, too, I mean, pigs, like, that's a good example of something that's, like, on the edge of being feral. Like, it's right. so much more wild than a lot of the other kind of domesticated livestock.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, definitely hardy. You know, there's a lot of horror stories, especially with the uh, uh, Cornish crushed chicken broilers, where, you know, you, you get a cold spring rain and, you know, you lose 150 birds or something exactly. like that. I mean, yeah. the pigs, you know they don't pile on each other. You know, we, I had this little shelter I made up, you know, and, and by the end of the season, when, when they were all pushing 300 pounds, it was a little bit small, but it was essentially two four by eight sheets of plywood and an A frame on skids, mm-hmm. you know, like six by six skids, but they don't pile in there, you know, uh, on top of each other. But for whatever reason, whenever I would move it to a new paddock, they would always root up in there. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it would rain. It would get really muddy in there. So they wouldn't want to hang out in there anymore. So even, you know, it's raining or whatever, and they, but they just pile on each other. You know, mm-hmm. they were all really close. It wasn't like, you know, they were fighting. Uh, they would just pile on each other and, and stay warm, probably rotate like penguins or something, you know. Who's got the outside for an hour every night, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think they just, you know, and they stayed together. You know, they all came at the same time. They all left at the same time. There wasn't, you know, I wasn't introducing, like, new, you know, I wasn't trying to take two away and then add two more Mm -hmm. and sort of have this ongoing thing. I think it was just, I really like the idea of, like, a batch. And even if I did a second batch, I'd probably keep them separate, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. so that they're, you know, now I have two working batches, sort of like chicken tractors, you know. Yeah. Just have another one, you know, or start over again later or something.
0: Yeah, definitely. I the the question came up in my mind I I'd love to know you know what what do you feel like prepared you for all this what you know in your past and Shauna's past your experience training you know learning how how did you get from where you were growing up I don't I'm not even sure did you grow up in the the city or the suburb Shauna yeah so
1: I grew up in the I grew up. I was born in Minneapolis, and then we lived for a few years out in in uh, Andover, which is north of the city by about thirty minutes. Mm -hmm. I was only out there for you know the last bit of elementary school, some, uh, and then came back for middle school, high school, and all that sort of stuff. So it was kind of a hiatus. Shauna spent her whole life in in the cities and in Richfield, and uh, you know her mom's side comes from Wisconsin, comes from agriculture. You know they were a dairy farm with 40 cows for a really long time until they retired and all that and the farm is still in the family and being farmed by you know the oldest son who now that you know 100 acres or whatever is uh part of a much you know i I don't know how much land he has but it's more than a thousand you know probably less than ten thousand, but somewhere in there you know uh so he still kind of manages it um but i guess as far as you know uh what prepared us to come out here I think it was just you know I'd have to give the credit to my folks for Mm -hmm. basically just saying hey you can do what you want to do you know you can be what you want to be you just have to you know work at it and go after it yeah um so uh when I came across permaculture you know for the first time 2014 um I had never heard of it you know I'd always you know I've always liked nature and being Mm -hmm. in nature and um, you know, playing in the woods and that sort of stuff. <clears throat> I don't feel like I was ever really a city kid at heart just because of the, you know, all the distractions and, and sort of the crowdiness of it. <clears throat> but I learned about it, and, and, you know, when I saw that you could be a, a, a net positive in the landscape or, you know, in the natural world and not just do less bad which is a pretty common thing that you hear a lot about. Yes, Um, yes. It was like, yeah, I want to do this. So how do I go about doing this? And then it was just, you know, the next video, the next book. I went to the Permaculture uh, Voices Conference in 2015. So a year later, I think by the, I discovered permaculture in, in, in January, February of 2014. By March of 2015, I did the online PDC course with Jeff Lawton and I attended the uh, permaculture voices conference in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and in, in, along with all the other videos and stuff that's on, uh, you know, YouTube and then connected with our local uh, permaculture cold, cold climate in, in Minneapolis. Yes. And, you know, Lindsay Ray and Paula Westmoreland and, you know, Kobe, and, uh, you know, all of those amazing teachers and sites, mm-hmm. and just got involved, you know, did the internship at the Tiny Diner Farm, and just whatever it is that seemed like the next step, I was just kind of going after it, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, kind of keeping my eye on the MLS for properties, and, um, you know, so that when one came along that I thought was really great, I'd kn- I'd know it, Yeah, you know it's not like oh the first thing i ever looked at you know this was actually one of only i think two prop well no there was maybe one of three properties I actually visited in person Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of stuff that i looked at online that was just like you know it was all swamp actually i guess we looked at a couple more than that Mm -hmm. you know in 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 person it wasn't quite that but you know just looking at acreage seeing what oh you know this many acres for this amount of money you can kind of work your way to a, what's kind of usual, Mm -hmm. you know, or what, what would be a good deal if you saw it or that kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of worked my way to this point without really uh, picking my head up much. And uh, between 2014 and 2018, you know, so that's four years went from no agriculture experience to the owner of 45 acres Mm -hmm. of raw land I also got married and had two kids in that same time period,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so it was just kind of a wild, a wild ride, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, getting out here and everything's kind of slowing down. You get to think about things you want to plan. It. You don't want to make any uh, type one errors, mm-hmm. you know, which is another reason that we ended up in sort of a tiny house on skids. You know, I didn't want to come in here in day one and start putting down, you know, asphalt or, you know. Uh, uh, concrete pads and, and then realize, you know, hey, I'd only been here for three months and, and all this stuff is in the wrong place. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I really wanted to keep my options open so that we could get to know it a little bit before we
0: decided, hey, the house is going right here. You mm-hmm. know, so. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a great lesson in that. It's It's interesting, you know, the word permaculture comes from permanence, but there's this sense of impermanence on that path towards yeah. finding it in your own unique context and i, I i'm so glad you share that story because that's a really good example of yeah not not really being too hasty um and just diving headfirst into something that is gonna you know essentially be a lot more work to change later which is what you're kind of referring to with a type one error
1: right yeah yeah, yeah. and and I would say, you know, what's prepared me for this, I would say, I'm still not very prepared for this. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's more of like what gave me the, uh, I guess, confidence to take it on. Yeah. You know, is maybe what, you know, with all the, the, the lessons I learned and, and the encouragement from, you know, the people who uh, really enjoy seeing me get excited about things. Um, but, you know, without doing it, you know, you can't really be prepared you know, I, I, I think the best thing you could do to prepare yourself for something like this is to, you know, go and, and live and work on a farm for a year or two. You mm-hmm. know, that you kind of hear that a lot with like veggie farmers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they worked for somebody else who was doing it and then they started their own business. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, I come out here and, and things like, you know, my neighbors saying, you know, your driveway is going to go to shit as soon as, uh you know, when the, when the, when it starts freezing overnight and thawing out during the day, like when you'd be tapping maple trees, your ground is essentially expanding and contracting and it's just going to get soft and you're going to be totally hosed if you don't get some gravel on that or, Mm -hmm. you know, so those are the kind of things where, you know, I had spent a lot of time learning about, you know, vegetable gardens, you know, chicken tractors, uh, holistic management, rotational grazing, very little time, building a driveway, you know, natural building, you know, I've heard about, you know, you hear about some of these things, but I wasn't really studying infrastructure in that way. And when we got out of here, that's the first thing we had to do. And the first thing anybody's going to have to do when they move out to raw land, you don't move out there and put a garden in and start chicken tractoring. You get out there and, you know, sure up your access, Mm -hmm. you know, get a, a, a livable structure. You know, I gotta have a, water figured out oh there's a stream yeah but it's you know downhill or you know it freezes over or mm-hmm. it gets so muddy you can't get down there or you know it's not clean necessarily to a degree where you can use it in the house you know just these are just different issues yeah you know
0: well i this is such a common denominator with everybody i talk to in in this this work and and it's really it's about Resilience—it's about that determination and the confidence that when you reach a challenge, an obstacle, a barrier, you have that confidence and that determination to figure out how to overcome it, time and again, because life is full of those barriers, those obstacles, no matter what you do. And I think that you know the the advice of you know start on a farm. You know what I'm hearing is like you know sample the flavor of ice cream with the pink spoon before you get the whole ice cream cone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and exactly. it doesn't matter if you're talking about farming and homesteading or talking about start business or whatever it might be. And I, I, I see that, you know, that the permaculture principle, small and slow solutions be so valuable in approaching, you know, our goals to cultivate this lifestyle that we want to live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, and something I try to, you know, live by too is, um, you know, there's always stuff coming at you, right. Uh, just issues and, 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 and problems and, and, um, uh, yeah, obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to make them, you know, you need to find easy, simple, easy solutions. Like you have to make the smaller stuff easy because there's going to be bigger, harder things. Yeah. You know, you can't turn uh, molehills into mountains.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you, you can't, you know, get overcome by some of the smaller, the smaller stuff. The smaller stuff needs to be just dealt with as quickly and as painlessly as possible so that you're prepared and ready for when the, you know, the freeze-up comes, you know, and you don't have a water solution. Yeah. You know, that's a big one. You yeah. know, yeah. or, uh, you know, you can't access your house anymore cause you didn't get the driveway in or the driveway, um, just washed out essentially because, you know, the driveway goes downhill mm-hmm. and it just becomes a river and a heavy rain type of thing.
2: You right. Know? Right.
1: So just like the small stuff needs to be small so that you can handle the bigger, the bigger things that come your way. Yeah. there's always something you know we put in a bunch of systems um you know whether it be water system you know solar system um driveway or whatever and now we're like refining those systems again right it's not like done it's like okay now the water is here most of the time but now it's kind of freezing up so you got to deal with the uh you know keeping it warm or keeping it refilled in the solar Mm -hmm. you know we've record-breaking cloudy days or whatever so it's like our batteries are depleted and freezing up so we've got to redesign that how our storage is for the battery so we're like already redesigning systems instead of adding a new system
0: you know Mm -hmm. yeah definitely (laughs) yeah 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 i i I would love to to ask you what on this on this permaculture culture path what has been one of your biggest challenges frustrations or obstacles i think
1: you know the biggest frustration i have you know particularly with dealing with the with the permaculture aspect of things Mm -hmm. is you know i get the the concepts of um you know the natural systems function stacking all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. but there's kind of there's i never really feel like you know i could put a swale here But is that the best place for it? Because it could go, you know, anywhere. And do I really need it? You know, like these are all really drilling into those. And that, I think, comes from, you know, context. Um, And then also, uh, I would say, like, there's, I forget where I heard it now, but, you know, in farming or whatever, there's, and actually in anything, there's knowing what to do, when to do it, and then you have to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think with, um, you know, permaculture is a lot of what to do,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Like, you know, put a swale and plant trees have, you know, say a hundred, 150 feet between your next row. If you want to graze in between there, uh, okay. So that's what to do. But then like having all of these, um, uh, resources available, having, you know, your 2000 trees ready in the spring or in the fall. Damn. like sourcing materials or like, Hey, what kind of pigs did you get? It's like, well, I got the ones that were available mm-hmm. in my area. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I couldn't necessarily go out and just find me some mangalitsas that I didn't have to drive, you know, three and a half hours without, you know, and borrow a livestock trailer to go get, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, there's what I want to do sometimes. And then there's what, what, what you can do. You know, if we went and bought organic pig feed, at the co-op, it was, like, 50 cents a pound
2: mm-hmm.
1: or something, which is more – it's, like, almost triple what you'd pay – what I was paying. I started out paying 17 cents a pound, and by the end of the season, it was 20. Mm-hmm. So it's double plus, you know, and it's just, like, I mean, you got to sell your – you know, I'd have to sell the pork for, like, $10 a pound hanging meat or something yep. like that in order to see a return. Yeah, You know, and then and that's already – you know, the, the, you know, thousand dollar bill for a pig that people pay up front, you know, and then there's some processing and stuff is hard for them to swallow. Even if, even though it ends up being a really great deal, uh, if you actually break it down per cut and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think the frustration is just really, you know, getting um, everything happening that you want in the way that you want it to kind of get reality to fit your vision yeah, You know, and, you know, like this year we didn't, we didn't plant any trees, you know, like our garden suffered, you know, I didn't do any, uh, cover cropping, um, in these fallow fields. I mean, luckily nature's doing an amazing job of, of it's still working on itself while, while I'm not dealing with it, you yeah. know? So I've got, you know, say 10 acres of fields across the stream that essentially I didn't do anything with last year, but, uh, what I wanted to do, what I was planning on doing was, you know, broadcasting a variety of different seeds, you know, um, maybe getting some pasture mix out there. And then, you know, I come to find, you know, it's like a lot of the pasture mix you get at the store is, you know, specific for grazing and this and that. It's not really the pasture mix I'm looking for. I'm looking for a much more diverse sort of meadow, prairie, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, we were even talking to people who do, uh, curry restoration and stuff. And they're like, Oh, if you're going to graze it, don't even bother. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, like nobody's got the whole picture, you know, it's like everybody's Mm -hmm. got their little piece, you know?
0: Yeah. That's that. I think that's a great way to summarize that. And that's, that's probably one of my biggest frustrations too, the way so many people's perspectives and cultural perspective is, is compartmentalized. It's not connecting the bigger picture, the whole system. And, you know, I'm hearing you talk about all the things you didn't do, but I really think it's important to call attention to something you did do. And that's make this transition with your growing family, with a partner into a camper and then a tiny house, you know, from the suburbs to the country and, and still stick together. How, how have you managed to do that?
1: (laughs) Right. Well, you know, it's been tough. You know, it's tough. I mean, and, and, you know, based on our situation, there's a lot of sort of <clears throat> nowhere else to go that kind of keeps you working on stuff, you know. But, um, you know, that's the, the communication between, you know, Sean and I is, uh, you know, when we first came out here, you know, when we built the tiny house, you know, we did that together. You know, it took a long time, and that was kind of fun. You know, we also built an adjoining uh, 10 by 16 little shower shack, you know, it started off as a 10 by six and it became a 10 by 16, you know, with sort of, you know, a not a vaulted roof, but it's a it's a much bigger structure than we were originally thinking. But, uh, you know, we just, we work, we talk about it all the time.
0: You know, if anything,
1: um, one of the, one of the downsides is be that you're kind of never not talking about it. You never kind <laughs> of ever, away from it there's always well what am I doing today and you know how did things go today and what do we what do we have to do tomorrow and what do you what's your schedule like and just trying yeah. to keep everything straight you know with the kids and their schedules yeah and all that sort of stuff so there's definitely been a lack of like us time you yeah. know and uh and then the living environment is obviously stressful mm-hmm. as far as just you know there's not you are trying to put the kids down it's not like you can go into the other room you right. know, keep it down it's like okay i'll be sitting right over here in the dark you know maybe yeah. trying to watch a youtube video or something uh with my with my headphones on or whatnot yeah. but that's like it you know yeah. there's no like laying out on the couch or you know having a conversation and kind of it's like well we're kind of buttoned up for the night so yeah that's that
0: you've taken integration to a whole new level
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i mean we're we are on top of each other pretty much literally, (laughs) you know, which is stressful for, for anybody. And then um, just with issues like, you know, the water, we basically get all of our water right now from our neighbors. You know, Mm -hmm. they have a well that they have one of those outdoor spigots that drops the water below the frost line. So it doesn't freeze up. We fill up a tank, 300 gallon tank. We drive it over to our place. We put it into our shower shack, which has a tank. And then, we, which means we have to keep that separate building warm enough to keep our, all of our water lines and everything from freezing. We have to keep a fire going in there so it's warm, so you're not showering in 50 degree, you know, air inside that shower shack. So again, yeah. that's not super comfortable. You know, yeah. you don't want to take a shower, even if you want to take a shower every day, you don't because that means you have to go get water again. Sooner mm-hmm. we go, we go about a week to ten days on that 300 gallons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so you know, pat yourself on the back for uh you know low low footprint and low water usage yeah. <laughs> you know but at the same time it's like an incredible amount of, of stress um you know particularly for for shauna yeah not being able to have some of those just modern amenities that essentially everybody takes for granted
0: you know, yeah it's still gone so, you know? so I mean,
1: nope. a lot of credit goes out to her for sticking it out this far yeah um yeah. you know yeah, She's t- really all excited about making some kind of progress on the, on the forever home, mm-hmm. you know? So,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Um, as we get closer to the, the end of our conversation, I'd love to just honor the, the permaculture principle of attain a yield and ask you what's one thing you'd like folks to yield from this conversation today?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I would say, you know, despite all the things I was saying, you know, if I wasn't too negative as far as our journey, and I would definitely encourage people to continue to go down this path. I mean, we need a lot of people, uh, you know, to kind of get into this regenerative movement and and take up some of this uh, raw land that's out there or even, um, you know, even if it has a house, that's, that can be even better in many ways. But, you know you just know it's not going to be a picnic and, and, um, but do the adventure. It's definitely worth it. And the harder it is, you know, the, 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 greater the payoff is, you know, and I always tell Sean, you know, we'll be laughing about this in the future. You know, when we lived in this tiny house with our little kids, like we were crazy. Well, what were we thinking? But you know, there, there's a lot of people out there, uh, who are, who are doing it, you know? And you know, you can, I would mm-hmm. just say, um, you can do it. And, and, if you don't want to, you know, support other people who are doing it, because I think it's, I I do believe it's work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. you know, and it's ultimately better for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
0: yeah, I completely agree with you. There's there's a lot of common ground there that we need to build something on. Yeah, yeah. So so, what's next for you?
1: Well, we're going to. Um, we really want to get some cows this summer or this spring, if we mm-hmm. can. Um, we need to basically, you know, I've been going into the, the cities myself now, uh, several days a week and, and working to make money to kind of fund the, the initial investment here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next things up on our immediately are, you know, we're going to start working on our little addition for the, for the shower sh- or for the shab in here. Um, just to kind of release a little bit of that pressure, um, We need to talk to somebody about a well as soon as that sort of, of, you know, nobody's coming out here and driving up the hill a little bit in the snow in order to, 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 to drill something like that out. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's sort of the big thing. We want to really get that um, figured out whether it is going to be a well, I think we will have a well. There's also a little spring behind us that we, I'd like to develop a little bit and see if that's even possible, but either way, you know, that maybe both is a good solution um but yeah definitely gonna do pigs again this year we're looking into broilers um i've got a shed that is about you know half finished it's like a giant carport right now that mm-hmm. i need, uh, get the doors up and, and finish off the two sides so that we have a little bit of a shop so we can do some more building and infrastructure but um yeah i guess make it through the winter and uh be ready for the spring to come so that we can, uh, you know, take some steps forward. And then for sure this year we're planting some trees. The garden is going to get much more attention,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, hopefully be able to produce enough that we can store a little bit over the winter, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like everything <laughs> is next. We we could go on and on next. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> today,
0: yeah, next for today. Yeah
1: we'll go Make back sure. and forth
0: right right <laughs> well I, you know you mentioned uh, uh just a little bit ago about folks doing something to support people like yourself and in, in your kind of situation doing the work that you're doing what do, what do you think an action step people can do you know right where they are whether it's you know how they shop or how they're living what what would you suggest
1: um you know, I, I think the, one of the best things you can do for yourself and for local small farms is is join a CSA, get a bag of vegetables every week or whatnot. But and and more so, half pig, whole pig, mm-hmm. quarter beef, that kind of stuff. Where mm-hmm. you know, you put some food into your house, you know, so that you have. It's just once you have had a freezer with a whole pig in it, like you never want to not have that again. It's yeah. just so nice to. Yeah and convenient and you get a higher quality food for the same, if not even cheaper. Yeah. Uh, And you're helping support by buying that animal. Like that cow has done a lot of work and a lot of restoration by being a cow or by being a pig, Mm -hmm. even by being a chicken. you know, if we had, uh, you know, a thousand chickens go down our, our, our main field here this summer and then we were able to sell all those off. I mean, that's a huge amount of fertilizer and, um scratching and and work that's been done to rehab that cornfield into a much more productive uh, healthy soil system so if we can if we can't unload those chickens or sell them then you know we can't afford to do the restoration Mm -hmm. you know so I think by essentially just by buying food from people doing restoration agriculture particularly animal products Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the best things you can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, what I'm hearing is putting money where the mouth is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good. You know, it's not a sacrifice. It's like,
0: no, it's win, win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Win, win. And, you know, know, it's
0: connecting directly with the producers, with the farmers getting to know folks like first name basis, because, you know, the, the big downside I see with this movement or big organic or, regenerative ag is you know which we keep the the movement keeps trying to create all these labels so people can know yep. what they're buying but it's not getting to the root of the problem and that's that we don't know where our food's coming from we don't know right. who's growing it we don't know what they're doing so yeah ultimately I, I love that that's you know what you're talking about too and that's connecting directly as much well, as possible
1: in in these you know in those documentaries and stuff they always say you know you can't trust the label you can't you know there's all these different stuff like you're just saying and the only way to really do it is to know your farmer right yeah you know and it's like i want to be your farmer yeah you know that's what i want to do for you like yeah. you know i'll exactly. be one of those people and then somebody else can be over there and and so on and you know it'll just be a common thing we're like yeah you know, like South and says, you know, you have your doctor, you know, your lawyer, your librarian, or whatever, and then you're in your farmer. Yeah. You know them. Yep. You know, they're, yeah. they're growing and you trust them and you come out and see what they got going on. And mm. it's just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm playing a role in this. Yeah. And you don't have to live in a tiny house to do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? uh no i mean i think it was a great conversation i appreciate you having me
0: on yeah definitely well i'm looking forward to trying some of that pork too yeah absolutely (laughs) i'll get some to you cool well thank you again so much nick for your time and sharing your story with us really appreciate it yeah thank you cody it's been great if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it you can do three simple things right now one you can subscribe permaculture freedom podcast if you haven't yet number two you can leave a short review for us on itunes and third share this episode with a person in your life you think would enjoy it too thank you i really appreciate your support until next time take care my friend